Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Welcome. My name is Caroline Moasasi, and I'm FACT's Roundtable podcast host. I'm honored to take on this role with FACT, as I'm also a passionate allergy and asthma advocate on the national and international level, a parent of children with food allergies, and the founder of GratefulFoodie.com. We're exploring easy tips for self-care and coping skills with FACT's Director of Behavioral Health, Emery Gewertz. Emery Gewertz, a native of New Jersey, has been heavily involved in the food allergy community for over 10 years. Emery began her collaboration with FACT as a volunteer teen counselor for FACT's Camp Tag when it launched in 2010 and was a counselor every summer in our New Jersey location through 2018. She has also been a teen leader for FACT's Teen Retreat for the past six years. Emery enthusiastically shares her stories and experiences of living as a young adult with food allergies. Topics she has covered include preparing for college, dating, dining out, and mental health. Emery has lived with anaphylactic food allergies to dairy, fish, shellfish, and peanuts her whole life and has a deep understanding of how to stay safe, healthy, and happy with whatever comes her way. Emery holds a Bachelor of Science in Public Health with a concentration in health communication from the College of New Jersey and a Master's of Arts in School Psychology from Rowan University. Since graduation, Emery has worked to develop health programs in inner-city schools, as well as she has held several small groups on mental health management. Emery is currently pursuing her education specialist degree to become a certified school psychologist. Welcome, Emery. It's really good to have you back on the show today. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. We're going to dive right in. It is safe to say that the COVID-19 pandemic has driven everybody's stress levels up, but there also seems to be a really wide definition of what self-care means. Can you explain what self-care actually is? Absolutely. In plain and simple terms, self-care is any activity that relieves stress. And more scientifically, it's a term used for activities and practices that we can engage in on a regular basis to lower stress and increase our overall mental health and well-being. So now can self-care look very differently for every person, like my self-care versus your self-care? Absolutely. It's extremely personal, hence the word self in it. It can be extra 15 minutes in the morning if you're somebody that likes to wake up and you want to enjoy your coffee or the newspaper by yourself or perhaps something you add to the end of your day or a walk after work. Some people are going to like running and that'll relieve stress and another person might want to escape through a book or a TV show. And these are all valid forms of self-care. Emery, can you provide listeners with some tips for self-care, whether you're living way out in the country or if you're in the middle of the city and you're stuck up in a high rise, what tips can you give people for those different kind of environments? And even especially for moms who might have a household full of children and they're trying to work from home and maybe space and time is incredibly limited. Mm, so you hit on a really common thing I hear, which is that some people are just too busy. 
for self-care, whether they're a parent or whether they're still in the hustle and bustle of work, or maybe they're an essential worker. And I like to say that no one is actually ever too busy for self-care. It just might have to look a little different. We got to break out of that culture of busy and make sure that we're caring for ourselves as an individual. So there's this term called self-care in the background, which is exactly what it sounds like. Self-care, but in the background. So suppose you have extra papers to grade or you need to help your kids with homework or you're cooking or you're doing laundry. You can have self-care going on in the background, whether you like jazz music or country music or classical music, play that in the background. And if that brings you some joy, that counts as self-care. Or perhaps you're into essential oils, aromatherapy, or scents. You can light a candle, use a wax melter, or an oil diffuser. And those scents might actually lift up your mood. That's self-care, even while you're doing other things. Or even something as silly as having your favorite color around you or flowers. I buy myself fresh flowers every other week because when I'm working at my desk, I love to look at that. Or maybe you really like blue or yellow, so you'll repaint your walls that. And that's something that can do something, add some joy to your life, but without going out of the way to think, I need to go on an hour run and I have no time for that. It almost sounds like a secret self-care, <laughs> but really personal. I love that. I like the way you put that, Caroline. It is sort of a secret self-care. And that's why I think that everybody can do it. And then with that, if you are more interested in incorporating a different level of self-care, like a run, like doing yoga, like reading the paper or watching a movie or something like that, it's best to make it into a routine. Whether, like I previously mentioned, 15 extra minutes in the morning, maybe you need to set your alarm 15 uh, minutes earlier, maybe it's carving out time at the end of your evening or after work that your kid know or your husband or your wife knows that that's my me time. These 30 minutes when I get home from work, I'm going to take a little nature walk or I'm going to read my favorite novel. Thank you. Those are really powerful tools that I think everybody can Mm -hmm. use. A lot of money doesn't take a lot of time. I love the flower idea. Just have flowers in the yard. I love it. And absolutely. Self-care should not be expensive. We are not talking here about big vacations, mani-pedis. We're talking about things that you like and will boost your individual joy. Thank you very much. Wonderful, fantastic, easy-to-do tips. So now, Emery, my family's been meeting weekly, although I think we may up it to every few days, but we've been trying to sit down together and just talk about the times, our stresses, our goals. My son's finishing college. My daughter's in her junior year. She's ramping up looking at college. We all have a lot going on. So we're trying to find a time to sit down and talk about things and find coping skills. But can you explain what kind of coping skills might be helpful for families sitting down or individuals who have other people that are in their lives? Like what tools and suggestions can you give us? Caroline, I love that that's something that you're doing with your family. And in and of itself, that is a form of coping, talking with trusted loved ones and family members. But before we dig into that, let's go over just a broad definition of coping skills so we're all on the same page. There's simply a way a person can deal with and process a stressful situation or emotional issue that comes their way. So coping skills aid a person in how to face the situation, take action, or solve a problem with efficiency. And we're going to, this whole podcast, refer to them as coping skills rather than coping strategies or coping techniques because it's something to be learned. The skill of riding a bike or the skill of reading an allergen label 
we need to be able to learn coping skills and have a grace period to know that we weren't born knowing how to cope with stressful situations or hard times. We need to learn how. So with that, it's really important for everyone to engage in coping skills because statistically, it boosts confidence, self-esteem, and actually independence. And that's for your children and that's for yourself as an individual. We all know that even especially right now, things don't always go our way and there are times when we're under stress. Those with food allergies uh, or, or, or those that are caretakers of people with food allergies face even more stressors. So how are we going to react? What do you do when your child has another reaction or when they can't go to an event because of their food allergies? What happens when your kid's getting bullied because of this? We need the coping skills to deal with that because with coping skills, we can process it and then we can move on or confront the issue depending on what we need. So there are healthy coping skills and unhealthy coping skills. I know today we're going to focus on the healthy coping skills. So I'd love to dig into that. You know, I think it's okay too to maybe mention a few unhealthy. So we know, I mean, who knows, maybe my chocolate at night might not be the best choice. (laughs) You know what, Caroline, that is actually very true. However, I'm going to let you know that chocolate at night is a nice form of healthy coping skills, if in moderation. Our healthy coping skills fall into two categories, distraction slash emotional coping skills, and then problem solving coping skills. So it's important to know that distracting coping skills are not the same as avoidance behaviors, which we're going to dig into in a little bit. But distracting and emotional coping skills could be eating that piece of chocolate or going on a run, maybe painting your nails, yoga, reading a book, watching TV, maybe talking to a friend, venting. All these things either distract us by, hey, I need to take a break and go out of my jog, or I'm going to distract and I'm going to write things down in a journal or paint a picture. And those are, those are wonderful because sometimes we really just need to take a step back. And then there's problem-solving coping skills. Maybe that's going to therapy Maybe that's talking to a trusted friend. Maybe that's having family meetings like you say your family does. Maybe that's um, journaling or thinking about how can I really take action? Do I need to talk to a teacher? Do I need to talk to my child? Do I need to have a mediation? Now, on the flip side, unhealthy coping skills might be over drinking, gambling, abusing drugs, um, resorting to violence. And then lastly, the most popular unhealthy coping skill, which is avoidance or minimizing behaviors. Avoidance is something that a lot of people struggle with, myself included. Sometimes conflict's scary or not even, or we feel like it might not be worth delving into. So we avoid it and we push those feelings down. But in the long run, that's proven not to help. And by the time that you need to address it, you're that much more angry or that much more upset or that much more sad when you could have coped with it in a healthy way. And that's, again, why it's a skill, because we need to develop this. A lot of us may have grown up in homes where avoidance was the norm or minimizing um, your trials and tribulations because somebody, quote unquote, had it worse was the way that your family viewed something. And that also is another common view during um, all the issues we're having with COVID-19. Everything that's happening in the world is horrible, and we need to be sensitive to that. However, at the same time, whatever's going on in your individual life, there's value in that too. There's value in working through those emotions, whether it's your child not being able to go to prom, whether it's you being furloughed from your job, an unforeseen financial cut, whatever it may be, both of these problems are valid and both of them we're going to need to get through together. Emery, if someone wanted to seek out the help of a therapist or a mental health care professional, how do they go about finding someone? Mm. 
very important. And seeking a therapist and knowing that it's time for that next step is so brave, courageous, and important. We want to lower the stigma around that because therapy really is cool. So whether it's your child or yourself, you could head over or call your local pediatrician or family practitioner, and they can connect you with great local resources about counselors, therapists, and psychologists in your area that can deal with whatever issue you're facing. I'm a firm supporter of therapy. My family tapped into it early on when my son started developing some food allergy fears that were a little outrageous. Mm -hmm. And a friend turned me on to this wonderful therapist who really taught him great coping skills when he was five. And my son stayed in contact with this person throughout the years. So I'm a firm supporter of this, firm supporter of remove the stigma. We need this help. People like you, you've spent years and years and years dedicating your lives to learning this information to help us out and help us get it resolved very quickly versus us spending a lifetime. So I can't support that any. Absolutely, Caroline. That's amazing. Now, going back to coping skills, how are adult coping skills different from children's coping skills? That's a great question. And the way I like to frame it is they're not really that different. So adults are obviously going to be more developed in their emotional intelligence, in their interpersonal skills. So they'll be able to more likely manage their emotions better and manage the direction of their coping. Children are going to need some more guidance from their parents to learn coping skills the same way they need to be taught to read a label or to tell a waitress about their food allergies. But so coping skills for kids might look a lot like play at the beginning and talking, but play and talking can be great for adults too. So what does that mean exactly, play and talking? Sure. The best way to teach your child a coping skill is to redirect them to something they love. That's a great place to start because a form of coping, as we addressed earlier, can be distracting. So if your child's having a meltdown or... Um, is really upset about something, you can say to them, let's take a break. Your blocks are over here. Or let's take a break. Why don't you go draw in your journal or something like that? But those work for adults too. It might not be playing with blocks, but we can go read our book or whatever form of play is for us. Maybe it's yoga or maybe it's a volleyball club we're involved in. So distraction is going to work great for kids and adults. So the skill is the same, but the way it's executed might look different depending on an interest. So now as an adult with young adults living in my home, then for me, as I see their stress levels rise, I could easily say, hey, let's go outside and, you know, pull some weeds. Okay, maybe that's (laughs) not a good one. (laughs) No, but absolutely something like that. Anything to distract because sometimes teens or young adults even struggle finding out what is it that they like that could distract them. So even being given an option of something that might seem like a chore, let's pull weeds, let's clean the house, that might be relaxing for someone else. And that might actually really help them. Can you share with listeners a coping skill that they can teach their children? Absolutely. So the most important thing that we can teach our children is to manage emotions. So again, sort of like we briefly talked about, Adults are going to have an easier time with certain coping skills because they've already learned to manage their emotions. But kids haven't fully developed that same level of emotional understanding. So they're going to need some redirections. So before we start different skills in that respect, we can sit down and talk to our child in the middle of a meltdown or in the middle of an extremely anxious moment and say, how does your body feel? What are you feeling right now? What do you think caused this? And start those conversations. And maybe you'll need to give them ideas for younger children when you say, how does this make you feel? Or what are you feeling right now? They might need the words and you can offer it to them. You can say, 
Are you frustrated? Are you anxious? Are you sad? Are you upset? Are you hurt? Whatever it is, you might need to help them get the words. And for a child even younger or perhaps a nonverbal child, you can even print emotion charts and start by having your child point to the different faces and start developing that emotional intelligence and that emotional awareness. And then by nature of that, they'll start gaining independence. They'll start gaining the ability to work through problems and think through their problems instead of just talk through their problems and say, mom, dad, I need to take a break right now. And by offering things like, hey, maybe you need to take a break, then they're learning. So the best thing we can first by starting is making sure that our children really know when to manage their emotions and how they themselves can breathe, take a step back, and then move on. Emery, you just mentioned emotion charts. Could you explain what that is and how our listeners could find these? Absolutely. So you can actually just do a quick Google search or you can make one yourself. But a lot of common emotions are listed on it and think of it as a grid. So have you ever been to the doctors and there's numbers and the doctor might say, how are you feeling on a scale of one to 10? And you pick 10 and the face is super happy or you pick one and they're sad and they're crying and they look red in the face. So something like that. But underneath it might be someone with a worried face and under it worried, smiling, happy, brows furrowed, angry, and so forth. And for a young child that may not know fully what the word frustrated is, we're teaching them these things. Younger and younger, we need to put labels to our emotions. There isn't just happy and sad. There's a lot of emotions. So we need to be giving our children the words because after all, they model from us. So when we use things like, I'm frustrated right now, or this is what anxiety is, or explaining what anxious is, or are you worried? You're giving your children the language for that, but you're also giving them the visual. So that's how I feel. So it's a great first step. It's a very powerful first step, actually. I mean, you think about it, when does a child in school learn happy, sad, frustrated? It's obviously not part of the education. Mm. So very powerful tools. Thank you. So Emery, do you have anything else you would like to add today about self-care and coping skills? Sure. So another great coping skill that's going to be really important outside of the usual distraction ones are the problem-solving side of things. So other than you know, we delved into therapy, we delved into talking, but there's another person that we can talk to. If you're like me, you have an internal monologue running all day long. I'm always talking to myself, saying things, thinking through things, but we have to bear in mind how that little voice inside our head is sounding. So there's a concept called positive self-talk, and that can actually help us be kinder to ourselves. So Instead of that little voice inside your head, it's a little voice inside your head that's always looking to the bright side of things. So instead of looking at situations with defeat or aggravation or negativity, we can change the tune in our head and start saying things like, I'm doing the best I can. Even though I make mistakes sometimes, I can do many things well. Everyone has problems. No one's life is absolutely perfect. Mistakes happen, but we need to keep trying. My body is worth taking care of. Worrying does not usually help, so I'll focus on the good today. Since I care about me, I will make good, cho- I will make good choices. And different things like that. Because we can't look at our house and say, my house is a mess, I'm a mess. We might need to say, wow, it's been a really stressful week. 
maybe the families can start cleaning together this weekend. Or I can never seem to get anything right. Things are hard lately, but there's a lot of things that were successful this week. So we need to flip the script in our head. And that's actually a coping skill because that's addressing the problem and seeing how we can turn it into a brighter situation. And that's something our kids can learn too. So that's also something that we as a parent might want to role model. If our kids sees us speaking negatively or always being frustrated over simple little things, that's how they're going to react to even minor stressors in life. And that's why we want to teach them coping skills so they have the skills how to address these head on. You brought up a really great point about modeling to the children because right now things are stressful and even beyond this, you know, once we get past the Mm -hmm. pandemic, we're dealing with food allergy issues. And if our children are watching us just unglue or just feeling really devastated, you're right. I mean, I think it's important to be authentic, but then it's also important to say, but wait a minute. Yes. You bring up two things. So authenticity is important too. And when I say these things, it's okay to sometimes feel negative. And it's absolutely okay to be frustrated and be sad and wonder and worry. Of course, we're going to feel these things. But how do we address the feeling so that we don't sit in the feeling for a long time? We have to feel what we feel and then move on. And you can still address a hard situation with a positive outlook that isn't going to show your kids that things will always be this way. Our kids model every single behavior. And we want them to model behaviors such as asking questions. We want them to model reading ingredients or having talks with the allergist. We want to build our children up to be self-advocates and independent, but we need them to be able to manage their emotions as well, be able to cope when things get stressful, be able to cope through a reaction or cope through a loss or cope through whatever different things we're going to face throughout our lifespan. And we need to model that too. Emery, thank you for sharing these lifelong skills. You're right. We're going to learn them. This is a great opportunity to learn these coping skills and self-care that we'll take forward. As always, we love having you on the show. You always share really impactful, powerful tips that we can get out there and just start using. So thank you very much for your time. I know you're super busy and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes and be sure to connect with us on social media. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.